Welcome to the James River Church Podcast. You're about to hear another inspirational message from Pastor David Lindell, Executive Ministry Pastor at James River Church. It's our prayer that this message is an encouragement and blessing to your life. For a moment, I want to go to Romans chapter 11. So I don't know if somebody's asked you before, what's your favorite verse in the Bible? And you were like scrambling, uh, or you know, you can't like it's so hard to pick. But as a pastor, people love to ask pastors, what's your favorite verse in the Bible? And so in just in college, actually, this passage of scripture gripped my heart. And it's never left that status. I mean, all of God's word is living and active and sharper than any double-edged sword. And you're probably not supposed to have a favorite. Um, but this set of verses, and particularly verse 36 of Romans 11, is one that I come back to again and again and again. And it's where we're going to go just for a few moments tonight because I want to look with you at the deep things of God. The deep things of God. Paul says this in Romans 11, verse 33. Oh, oh, the depth of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and inscrutable his ways. For who has known the mind of the Lord? And, or who has been his counselor? Or who has given a gift to him that he might be repaid? For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be glory forever. Amen. Come on, that's a sermon all by itself. That's a sermon all by itself right there from the Apostle Paul. But Paul is calling our attention to, at the start of these verses, the deep things of God. In fact, he starts by saying, oh, the depth. Oh, the depth. The depth here is indescribably deep. So we're not just talking about that we cannot, it's a depth that you can't chart, that I can't chart, indescribably deep, so deep that the inspired Apostle Paul peers over the wall that surrounds the well of God's depth, and he knows that he's staring down into a space that is infinite. Oh, the depth. In fact, all he can do is say, oh. Have you, ever, have you ever come up on a scene, situation, and you looked at it and you said, oh, I don't know what the Apostle Paul's oh was like, but it's signaling that what he is looking at is taking his breath away. Oh, the depth. Oh, the depth. When you consider the riches of God's wisdom, when you consider the riches of God's knowledge, his power, his glory, his might, his eternality, does it cause you to say, oh. Because when we behold the glory of God, when we behold the unsearchable riches of his wisdom and of his knowledge, it should cause us to take a step back. 
It should cause us to go, God, I'm once again astounded by who you are. God, every time I get reacquainted with your grand, every time I get reacquainted with your character and your nature, I have to say, oh, wow. That's where Paul is at. And there are three truths from these few verses that are bound up in this expression of the depths of God's riches and wisdom and knowledge. There are three implications about the depth that Paul is signaling here that need to capture our attention because they are so important for our understanding and our worship. Because these are truths that lead us to worship. And the first is this, constant discovery. Constant discovery. Look at Daniel chapter 2 and verse 21. God gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge to those who have understanding. He reveals deep and hidden things. He knows what is in the darkness. I think that last phrase is just cool. Like, there is no crevice, there is no cranny, there is no part in all of the universe that we would say, oh, that's dark, that's mysterious, in known space or unknown space that God doesn't see in the full light of day. He knows. He knows what is in the darkness. He knows. There's nothing hidden from him. There's no truth confounding to him in all of creation. And I think it's so interesting, you notice the connection between deep and hidden things. Deep and hidden things. Paul says, oh, the depth. And when he says, oh, the depth, what he is signaling is that there are hidden dimensions of God's riches and there are hidden dimensions of God's wisdom and there are hidden dimensions of God's knowledge that are out of our sight. And that will always be true for all time and eternity. That's the infinite depth of God's wisdom, God's character, God's nature. It is a bottomless well, which means this. For your whole walk with God, you will never come to the end where you say, oh, now I know him completely. You will constantly be discovering new things about his power. You'll constantly be on a journey of discovering new things about his goodness. You'll constantly be do, discovering new things to give him glory and honor and praise for. There will be new things around every turn in your relationship with God. And here's what the Apostle Paul is signaling. That doesn't end when you get to heaven. For all time and eternity, God will be unfolding his character and his nature before his people. He will astound you again and again and again and again and again. Which is why the angels around the throne can continually sing, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. Why? Because they never reach a point where they go, Nope, we've sang all the holies that he gets. Those are all of them. We've seen it all. That was about 10 billion holies, and that's all we got. Never going to happen. Never going to happen. Not just because he's infinitely worthy, which he is. Because for all time and eternity, we'll never reach the bottom, and they'll never reach the bottom of his goodness, of his nature, and his character. It will never happen. Oh, the depth. 
constant discovery, but also concrete reality. It's not just you and I discovering new things to bring glory to God for or to worship God or that compel us to marvel at who he is. It's a concrete reality that the Apostle Paul is pointing to. Look at this in verse 33 again. Oh, the depth of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments, how inscrutable his ways. And then go down to verse 36. For from him and through him and to him are all things concrete. To him be the glory forever. Amen. Depth implies reality. It, it signals that there's something at the bottom. You may not be able to reach the bottom, but there's something down there. Turn to your neighbor and say, there's something down there. There's something down there. It signals substance. It signals reality. There's something down there. Because if there's nothing down there, then the riches and the wisdom and the knowledge are not deep. They're shallow. They're knowable. They're finite. They're not worthy of God. There's something down there, though. And honestly, if they're not deep, if there's nothing down there, we're talking about an empty delusion. It's just an empty delusion. It's a fairy tale. There's no concrete reality to it. And I mention that even though it would be obvious to all of us that there's something down there because we are surrounded by a culture and we live in a world in which many public sophisticated denials of that obvious fact happen all the time. So it wasn't too long ago I came across an interview in which a woman who was very sophisticated and authoritative in her tone and very erudite. There's nothing wrong with sophisticated. There's nothing wrong with authoritative tone. Nothing wrong with that. What was wrong with, was, with it was the content. The content was wrong. So she, she was saying this. She said, theology is really just poetry, which I don't take issue with Theology is poetry. We love the Psalms. You know, there's a lot of poetic literature in the Bible, and truth is conveyed. The deep theological truths are conveyed through poetry. So I'm okay, I'm tracking with you right now. So the interviewer responds in awe. So I wish I could do it like her. Um, this odd interviewer says, Oh, that's wow, that's a beautiful thought. Say more about that. So she is gladly willing to pontificate about this and says um, the following. She says, after all, religion is a beautiful human art form. And I wanted to throw up in my mouth. <laughs> and the reason for why you're saying why is that our worship of an infinitely holy God is not a human invention. This isn't the product of human ingenuity or creativity. This was initiated in eternity past by a holy God who beckoned us into relationship with him. He said, come in and know me. Come and pursue me because I'll be better to you than you could ever be to yourself. This isn't for an art gallery. This is God inviting us to gather around his throne and drink deeply of who he is. It's not a human art form. Sorry. It's not true. And here's the thing. 
That statement isn't just wrong, it's tragic. It's what the devil would love us to believe. Oh, this will make you feel good. This is a sugar pill. So that you can go home and feel like, you know what, it's all going to be okay. But the reality is, nothing's changed. I don't know about you, but I know that the God we serve doesn't deal in the ethereal. He deals in the concrete in the lives of his people. That when he makes a promise, he intends to keep it. When he says, I'll do it, then he does it. That's who our God is. He's not playing games with you. The promises of his word are yes and amen. Come on, we've got to get a hold of this because there's a lost and dying world that somehow believes that if you would ascribe to God as a figment of your imagination to make you feel better, that's enough. What a sad substitute for the reality of a God who cares deeply about people, a God who so loved the world that he sent his only son, that whosoever would believe in him wouldn't perish but would have eternal life. It's concrete. Oh, the depth. Why? Oh, the depth. Because there's something down there. There's something down there. That's not a beautiful thought. It's a tragic thought to think that there's no substance. This is just merely human invention. Paul knows it's not. He knows this is an anchor for the storms of life, and it's not a metaphorical anchor. It's a real anchor. You can hang on to it. When everything else is falling apart, you can hang on to this. You can hang on to it because you're hanging on to him. Now, it's not only in Paul's Wording the implication that it's constant discovery. It's he's he's always unfolding his new. He's always unfolding aspects of his character to us that are new to us. It's not only concrete reality, but it's also cosmic foundation. It's also this cosmic level foundation to the universe that he's talking about, because the words "oh the depth" signify foundation, signify a bedrock underneath everything else that exists. Everything. Here's the thing. He could have said, oh, the heights. Do you ever wonder why he didn't say that? Because that would be true. Oh, the heights that God's glory reaches to. And we would go, and we should, because it's true. His glory reaches to the heavens, the psalmist says. The heavens actually declare the glory of God, the psalmist says. The skies proclaim the work of his hands. That's happening. So he wouldn't be wrong to say, oh, the heights of the riches and wisdom of God. That would be true. But the difference between deep roots and high branches is what's at stake. What do I mean by that? It's the difference between cause and effect. Depth is about cause. Height is about effect. You think about it this way in your own life. That it's the roots, it's the depth of your walk with God that sustains your, your, your daily, day in and day out relationship with God. Honestly, there are people and you watch them And at times you run into people and they talk a really good game, but there's no roots and that tree falls over. 
in order for you to sustain the weight of branches and put out fruit and to sustain the weight of the fruit, you got to have deep roots. It's a cause and effect. Without the root system, you can't have the tree, you can't have the fruit, you can't have the foliage, you can't have the life. It's a cause and effect. Paul is saying God is at the bottom of everything. He's the cause. Okay? So if you're wondering about the foundation of the universe, he's the top of all things, but first, he's the foundation. First, he's the bedrock. There's nothing under him. He's the only uncaused cause in all the universe. There's only one. There's only one. This is the great threat, in my opinion, to atheism. Where did it come from? It all came from nowhere. That doesn't make any sense. I mean, it doesn't make any sense. There has to be one uncaused cause in all the universe. There has to be. And the uncaused cause has to be powerful enough to create all of the other things. So the uncaused cause can't be a little amoeba. Can't be like some lonely little atom wandering out in the middle of no other atoms that creates billions and billions and trillions and zillions of other... They can't do that. The uncaused cause has to be powerful enough to create everything. Everything. Everything you see. Everything you feel. Every human emotion. Every mental movement. Paul is staring down over that well wall and he's looking down into the riches of his wisdom and his knowledge and he's saying, oh my goodness, it's unsearchable. It's unsearchable. You'll never get to the bottom of it. Because he's the bottom of it. Because he's the bedrock of it. Because he's the foundation for it. Paul says in verse 36, for from him, from him and through him and to him, everything finds its foundation in him and everything ultimately points back to him. Everything ultimately is moving Godward. Even though humanity, broken, sinful, lost humanity rages against that, God's ultimately going to get the glory because the Bible says there's coming a day when every knee will bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. He's going to get the glory. All things are going to point back to him. To him be glory forever. Amen. There is no explanation beneath God. None. No matter how deep you go, there he is. No matter how deep you go, you find him. There are three applications out of these truths in this passage that honestly should change the way every one of us live. They should beckon us into God's presence and they should shift your perspective. And the first and, and foremost one is this. When you read that and you take stock of it in the way 
that the Apostle Paul took stock of it as he's writing with an inspired pen. The inspiration of the Holy Spirit carrying him along, it cannot help but provoke worship. It can't. It cannot help but provoke worship. And that's exactly what happens to Paul. This, this is called Paul's doxology in the middle of Romans. It is his worship. He's leading us in worship to the creator God. Because when you think about who God is and you think about his grandeur and his glory, you can't help but go, oh my goodness, I am in awe of you. Oh, the depth. The second, second application. It compels you to pursue depth in him. Oh God, I don't want to stay where I'm at. I don't want to stay where I'm at because there's always something new for me to discover in you. There's always more. God always has more for you in him because he's the more. And it's unending. It's unceasing. He's infinite. And so our call is to pursue depth in him. And here's the thing. If you find worship or your worship shallow, it's because, or shallow or hollow, it's because your theology is anemic. You need to get reacquainted with the depth that's available in him, the depth that's found in him. And here's the way you get acquainted with it. One time in God's word doesn't produce depth. One prayer time doesn't produce depth. One encounter with the presence of God doesn't produce depth. Doesn't do it. You showing up one time doesn't produce depth. What produces depth is daily doing those things. Daily getting in his presence. Daily opening his word. When somebody tells me they don't get a lot out of reading the Bible, I instantly know it's because they haven't read very much of the Bible. Because it's compound interest. This is the way it's spiritual life. It's, it's in the economy of God. As you spend time with him, the more, the more you find the riches in him. As you spend time in his word, the more you mine the riches of his wisdom and his knowledge, the more you stand in awe of who he is. It's not about the one-off. It's about daily being in his presence, daily pursuing depth and watching what explodes in your heart because it will happen. Then, third, it shapes our perspective of our problems. We see them in reference to him. And that's not to say he's big. And when we see him, we go, our problems don't matter. Jesus in his earthly ministry never said, well, guys, I need to teach you a lesson. You came to me asking for healing and I want to let you know something. We're not going to do any of that. Why? Because God's big and that problem doesn't matter to him. Does that sound like Jesus? It's not like Jesus. Jesus never belittled people's problems to shape their perspective of God. What he did is he shaped their perspective of, pro of God to give them new perspective about their problems. He said, God is so big, the problem doesn't have to dominate the landscape of your life. God is so big that you can trust him no matter what you're facing. He cares about it. He sees it. He knows it. And he says, cast your cares on me because I care for you. You can trust him. You can look to him. You can lean on him. Not only that, but he said, I'll never leave you or forsake you. 
when you get a hold of what Paul's talking about here, it changes, it shifts fundamentally the way that you see your problems because you understand God is powerful and God is able to heal the sick, to mend the broken, to restore the separated, to save the lost. He is able. There is nothing too difficult for him. And here's the thing. He wants to do that in this place tonight. Some of you would say, you know what? I, I raised my hand for healing just a moment ago. I raised my hand for healing on Sunday and, and I haven't been healed. You haven't been healed yet. He's the God who heals the sick. He's the God who cares for his people. There are some of you and you know Things are in trouble in your family. Things are in trouble in your marriage. Things are in trouble in your home. Things are in trouble at work. He's the God who mends and restores and heals and puts the pieces back together. And he can start that tonight. Tonight in the altar can be a catalyst for what he wants to create. There are some of you, and you know, when you look at your walk with him, there's not the depth. You read that and you go, oh, I want that. I want it. The answer is found in starting on your knees in his presence. Getting in his presence like you are right now, positioning yourself in a posture that says, oh God, reacquaint me with your might. Reacquaint me with your majesty. Reacquaint me with your glory. And whoosh, you'll do it. But our role is to go to the well. Our role is to lean over the wall and to stare into the infinite goodness and the infinite glory of God and behold him once again.